Uh, would you pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what, for all you have done, and for all you're doing. I ask you, Lord, that in this moment, you'd speak to us. Speak to us in a way that you've never spoken before. Encourage us, God. Encourage us to, to bold courage, to follow you faithfully. To trust you when we don't understand. Thank you, God. Amen. <clears throat> so you've probably witnessed the scene before. Maybe you haven't. But it's every time we see it, it's a little disturbing. Not disturbing in a way that makes us, um, that, that offends us. But disturbing in a way that, that makes it hard to watch. So usually, you know, you're kind of in the back of the room and, and everything gets quiet. And a man gets up who's sitting in the front row. He gets up and he walks over to his wife for the last time. And he just looks inside of the casket. That's what's happening here in this scene is that he's just looking into the, into the casket, not knowing what to say, not knowing that he was going to feel this way, and not knowing, not knowing any of this, but, but now living it out in live, full color. <clears throat> kind of loses control of himself. Just kind of throws himself onto his wife in front of everybody, not caring that anybody's there. Because it's really just the two of them for the last time. And he sobs and he cries and he calls her name. Now we're in the back, far away, and we're, our eyes are locked onto the man. We can't take our eyes off, and yet we feel a little guilty for like interrupting this private moment that he has. And yet, we can't stop watching. That's what I mean by it's disturbing, right? <clears throat> because it's, it's raw. And we're a part of it, even though we're not. We're watching someone finish well. We're watching a couple, a husband and wife, finish well. When we see a picture like that our tendency is to move on like let's let's go outside <laughs> because that was a lot right been there before i have and i'm sure you have as well the story of that's where we're at in the story here today the story of uh finishing well the story you see is shifting from Abraham and Sarah is shifting to Isaac and the rest of the generations that follow, the ones who would fulfill the kids, right? That's what happens in life, right? It's about us for a while, and it's about just us for a while, and then it's about all us for a while, and then it's no longer about us at all. And in a couple of generations, people can hardly remember us. But today, 
We're not, we're not there yet. Today, we're in, the, in this transitional period in the story. The story is changing. And, and I want us to always remember, to always handle seasons of transition in our lives, in, our, in relationships, in our church, in our business, in our sermons. Always handle points of transition very carefully. Because this is a place where people get lost, right? In a story, if you don't transition well from one scene to the next, people are left to wonder, like, what's, what's going on here? I don't understand. The same way in, in our lives, these points of transition that we're in today are, are the most tenuous. So while we're looking at this man mourning, and it makes us a bit uncomfortable, I want us to resist the urge to skip ahead, resist the urge to, to get on to the next powerful story. And just spend a few minutes watching this man mourn his wife. And I believe if we do that, we'll gain wisdom for our times of transition as well. The first one is that there's a time to mourn what was. There is a time to mourn what was, and it's good. But there's also a time to move forwards, and that's good too. Neither is better than the other. They're both necessary. And they're both real. In order for us to see the whole picture, I believe, I want to read through, I'm going to read through all of chapter 23. It's the shortest chapter in the book of Genesis, so don't worry. Uh, but then I want to, just because it was so short, <laughs> no, not really. But I also want to add in the nine verses in chapter 24. So we're going to go through chapter 24, verse 9 as well. I have the words appear on the screen, but uh, the text rather, but if, if you have your own Bible or your Swiping through one on your phone, that's great. Uh, make notes, underline stuff, highlight stuff, because that's, uh, that's what will um, be, a source of, be a source of depth for you in the years to come. So, invite you to join me there in verse 1. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Karath Arba, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from his bedside beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will refuse you in his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. And he said to them, if you, will, if you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me. And intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of uh, Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron, the Hittite, was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field. I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. But Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. He said to Ephron, in their hearing, listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so that I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Just bury your dead. 
Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it and all the trees within the borders was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah, there or near Mamre, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, whom, among whom I am living. But you will go to my country, my own relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you come from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. I wanted to skip this passage today, or at least maybe not skip it, but at least fast forward through it because it didn't seem to be a whole lot there. I mean, his wife Sarah died, and okay, so what's next? Kind of the way I go through life and the grocery store and everything else. What's next? The climax of the story of Abraham and Sarah's life was last week, right? When they sacrificed, when they offered Isaac to God. That was the pinnacle of the story. Everything from here on in is like, oh, okay. It's, this scene actually is almost like the little thing they put off to the side when they're running the credits at the end of the movie. Like it's almost that. It's like this is how we kind of close the, the book, but the pinnacle, the the big thing has already happened. Felt just like that. But there is encouragement here for us, I believe, that I want us to see today. Abram's response to his wife's death, I believe, helps us. See that when folks finish well, that we aren't so much sad that they're gone as we are glad that we got to witness their life, the way they lived. Their living, their living her living, Abraham's living gives us encouragement to live in our present circumstance. Encouragement to prepare for the next chapter of our lives as well. And let's face it, we are in a period of transition, are we not? 2020 was a year that, wow, we're, we're, we hope that we're turning the, tur- the corner out of it, right? We hope that vaccines are getting a little more numerous in our community. We hope that, that very soon we'll be able to see where we'll be able to get back together and we can hug each other again, or we can share some food in here for a change instead of just sit here and listen to somebody ramble on, right? It's like, let's get back to what, the way, what a family of faith does, right? We all, we want that, right? Yeah, I know we do. 
I believe that COVID will have less of a hold on us in 2021. If not because of the vaccine, then at least because we, we will just decide that life is too precious to not be lived. I heard somebody say, this thing's going to be with us forever. I said, well, I'm not. I've only got one life to live, right? I'm not going to be here forever. We're in transition. The church is in transition. For generations, the church was, was the place where, where for social community to be built in, the community, in, our, in our neighborhoods. In Rock Hall. The church was the place for, for social, it was a social center. It's no longer that. But fortunately, it was never called to be that. God never said, hey, I'm going to build a church so it is the social center of every community. No, it was to be the spiritual center of every community. And I pray that that's what we're moving back to. That's my desire for us, that we would be the spiritual center of our communities, not just here in this church, but every church and every community. Transition. That's what we have in today's text. And we're going to see that in periods of transition, the faithful finish well. We saw that. We heard it. Meaning they finish what they started and they prepare for what's to come. Finish what they started and prepare for what's to come. That's what I mean. The faithful finish what they started. You married couples out there, uh, let me ask you a question. What's the most important day of your marriage? Don't, you don't have to answer it out loud. The day you got married, maybe? She was dressed in white. You planned. You, you fretted over. You, you called caterers. And you, you, went, you called people about flowers. And, or maybe your parents did. Or, or you know, you went, you went all out. You're stressed. I mean, he's, he never smelled or looked that good. And since or before. <laughs> right? <laughs> never. You were, were, were never doted on like you were that day. It's true. Surely that was the most important day of your marriage. What if I said it wasn't even close? What if I said that the most important day of your marriage is the last day of your marriage? Where you spend it. Finishing what we started. We saw that in Genesis 23, uh, verses 1 to 2. We saw that Abraham finished there with his wife. The last day of their marriage, he was with her, even in her death. How you finish is important. How you finish is important. You can see what I mean by finishing well in Abraham's response to Sarah's death. As he laid over the body weeping. This is the first time in scripture that anybody cried. I mean, I'm sure people have cried in the, you know, before this, but this is the first time that God said, "This is I want to re- I want this recorded, right?" It's the first time. Sarah died at 127 years old. The Scripture tells us this is, I think, the only age of a woman recorded in Scripture. If I'm not mistaken, this is the only age of a woman recorded, which which explains to us why it's biblical not to talk about how old a woman is. So if you ever get corrected for talking about how a woman's age. It's biblical. You're not supposed to talk about that. <laughs> so just, just so you're, just keep that straight. It's a biblical principle. We don't know when Abraham and Sarah got married, but culturally they would have probably gotten married around the time she was 17. So that, according to my math, that's 110 years. 
110 years of marriage. What do you get somebody for their 110th anniversary? Anything they want. <laughs> Anything they want because 110 years, that's, wow, that's awesome, right? 110 years. And in that 110 years, they've learned a lot, I guarantee you, about themselves and probably mostly about God. Was it easy? Not at all. Not at all, right? We know the story. But that's why they learned so much, because their, their life together wasn't easy. Marriage wasn't perfect, but they kept at it, right? Granted, their world had a different view of marriage than our world today, right? It was, the roles of husbands and wives was very different back then. But their marriage, in some ways, was just like it is today, in that there was a man and a woman trying to figure it out trying to figure it out was Abraham a perfect husband absolutely not absolutely then that and that's exactly what makes marriage so hard is because you know because two sinful people selfish prideful people are put together and told now love each other <laughs> it's like all I know how to do is love myself all right I can't like how do you do that I don't know God's help. Be outside of God's help, it's a dream. It's a fantasy. Because you can't love someone sacrificially without God's help. Remember how it all began, right? For Abraham and Sarah, it was back in chapter 12 when, when we started all this. Uh, I thought I had the text in here. Maybe I don't. Nope, I don't. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country to your, your people to your, father, your father's household, to the land I will show you. He sent, he sent them to go. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when they set out from Haran. He was 75, so she was 65, 64 maybe, I'm not sure. But still, they'd been married for around 50 years at this point. 50 years. And he comes home and says, hey, babe, pack your bags, we're leaving. What? How well would that go over, Mr. Dean? Wouldn't go over well, would it? No. <laughs> it wouldn't go over, would it, Frank? No, it wouldn't go over well at all. No. He took her away from her family. Probably the hardest thing for her because to that point in her life, they were every, she didn't have kids, remember? And in that culture, your children were your retirement. I mean, who else was going to care for you when you were too old to, to do the physical things that life required, right? And Abraham is saying, hey, we're leaving our family. It's just going to be us. And she's thinking... I can't have kids, man. You're not thinking this through. He says, oh, no, you're right, I'm not thinking it through, but God told me that we've got to leave. God's calling was, most, was more important than their comfort, you see? That's the lesson God was teaching them. At least it would become. God's calling would become the most important thing in their life. It wasn't at the start. It'd take time to learn the importance of God's calling. They'd learned at the hands of uh, a famine, right? When they left 
Chapter 12 says that he would lead her into a famine because there was no food in the land, which he was promised. So instead of trusting God, he took her to Egypt. Right? Famine taught him something. Then they'd learn at the hands of Pharaoh out of fear for his life. Not trusting God to provide, not trusting God to protect, Abraham would convince her to lie and say that she was his brother and be taken into Pharaoh's harem, right? But God's call was still in their life, and God got them out. They learned at the hands of a servant named Hagar. Again, not providing the child. Sarah decides, hey, I, okay, I've got, to, I've got to do something because I'm not able to. So she gave her servant to Abraham to have a child, hoping that this would be the answer to God's plan, but it wasn't. It wound up being the source of more pain and hurt in their relationship than any other decision they'd made, probably. No surprise there, right? Unfaithfulness would do that. But she would submit herself again to God's plan, and they would learn they're dealing with family lot you remember him abraham gave him the choice of the land leaving sarah and abraham to fend for themselves in the in the rocky sandy parts of the middle east then they got to see the holiness of god as the sin of of sodom and gomorrah was judged while Lot and his family were rescued. They learned again at the hands of Abimelech. Again, when Abraham feared God, or feared the king instead of God, he turned his wife over. He gave her up. The same thing as back in chapter 12. Only to be returned by someone who learned to fear God, the king, Abimelech. They learned at the hands of Isaac, even. Finally, the son who was born, that they'd been promised. Chapter 22 tells us that, that, Abraham, that God told Abraham to go and sacrifice the son. To Abraham, this meant to kill him. Wow. A model of faith, right? To offer your only child to God. But what God wanted was for Abraham to trust him. To love him more than the promised child. Trusting that their view, that their, their love for God would, would see them through anything that life brought their way. And God's way proved to be better than their way. Again and again and again. God's call for their life was the most important thing. They realized that, they, but they didn't start out there. They, they figured it out along the way. Some of you are hearing this today have experienced that the most important day in your marriage is the death of your spouse. Some of you have experienced that already. So you know the lessons that Abraham and Sarah have learned. You've, you've lived them. You know what it means to finish well. And there are others here who are still learning. Still learning that the most important day is the last day. So I want to encourage you that today might be the last day. So if today is the last day, then, then how you live today matters. So love God. Allow your love for him to draw you and your spouse together. 
You may say, yeah, but I don't have a spouse that loves God like that. So our love for can't draw us together. I mean, I do, but my spouse doesn't. He or she lets me do my own thing and, and be a part of faith, but, but they're not a part of it. My best encouragement then is to stay faithful. You, you stay faithful. You pray for them and show them Jesus. What Jesus was so, well, that's what the New Testament is talking about when, it, when we show them Jesus. Don't hold back. Don't compromise your faith. Be bold and courageous and expect God to be at work in their life. Expect it. Abraham and Sarah, was their marriage perfect? Absolutely. <laughs> By no means. Was their relationship dysfunctional at times? Uh, the part we have most of the time, right? Do we think they had a, their marriage was happy every day? No. It was filled with trials, but they stuck with God's plan. They always came back to God's plan. They determined to view God's calling as more important than anything else. Their marriage was just like ours. Two sinful people called to live in a relationship with each other. In a covenant relationship with each other, with God. So if you're here with your spouse, go ahead and look at them. Go ahead and give them a look. You can hold their hand, but resist the urge to squeeze it right now, okay? I don't... Because some of you aren't married to a perfect spouse. Actually, none of you are married to a perfect spouse. Some of you listening to this are not married. And I want to tell you, though, the same rule applies to you. To finish what you started. Whether that be single or widowed. To finish. And to finish faithfully. Because just like what, what we see here in Abraham's life is he finishes faithfully as we continue on through the text. And you may say, those are the first two verses, Pastor. You're right. I've, I've kind of gotten on that habit here lately. The first two verses kind of hang me up. But, but the, this, the next portion of this chapter is, is pretty quick. The, the dialogue is, is about Abraham purchasing a lot for his wife to be buried, right? They buried people the day of their death back then, right? Because or soon after, at least, they didn't, you didn't wait around. So we're left to imagine that, that Sarah's death was unexpected because he wasn't prepared for it at all. Um, it was a big surprise to him. That, as a matter of fact, he had to scramble and go find a place to, to bury her. The details of the account of him buying the land. But, but, but two important things jump out here in the text. The first one is the amount of money that he paid for the land. You know, if you remember the dialogue back and forth, it was, you know, oh, Abraham, you can bury her anywhere you want. And he's like, no, I want to buy a place. No, 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 you, really, take anywhere you want. And, and they're kind of this whole back and forth. And he says, I want the land that Ef- I want to bury her in Ephron's place over there. And Ephron's like, oh, just take it, please. And, you know, it's this whole back, they're like trying to be gracious and trying to be. But then Ephron is kind of wants to show how gracious he is, I think, the way I read it. And he says, you know, that land's worth 400 shekels of silver, but that's, you take it. What's that between us, right? 400 shekels of silver, that's like 40 years worth of wages. That's a lot for a piece of ground. That's, that's an awful lot. He's like, oh, it's worth so much, but, but what's that between us, right? You just go ahead and take it. Abraham says, deal. 
deal. It's like, oh, he's really serious here. He weighs it out. Pays it. May have been a lot of posturing there between them. I'm not sure. We're not sure. But, but we do know that it was an extraordinary amount of money that he paid for this little piece of land. But he was finishing what he started. He was doing it by himself. He's honoring his wife in her death just as he honored her in her life. Or he tried to honor in her life. So for us, we seek to value God's call on our lives. It's the most important thing that we can do to honor God's call. It's more important than our, our safety. It's more important than your preferences. It's more important than your comfort. Being faithful to what God has called you to. God takes all those things into account. All our comfort, our safety, our preferences. God, God considers all that. He considers who we are. We can trust that he knows what's best. We just are called to be faithful today. Finish what you started. And here's where transitioning comes in. Because, because part of finishing is preparing for what's next. It's not over, you see. Finishing well includes preparing for the next chapter in order to have a good finish. In order to finish anything well, you have to be prepared for what's next. Because the crazy thing is, it, well, in Abraham and Sarah's life, right, that, that they prepared in this, for, for Isaac. Right? They prepared for Isaac. They, they were teaching him. They were telling him the promise, that he was the promise, that they communicated to him to be a blessing to the world, right? Abraham, having buried his wife, right? Now he begins to see his own mortality. And he begins where he may not have been prepared for his wife to die. Now he prepares for his own death. He remembers that he wasn't the promise, that Isaac was the promise. Isaac is becoming the point of the story, and we're going to... Start that next week as we look at it. We try to transition to a, a new series of messages called The Blessing. That we look at how this blessing, the blessing that was given to Abraham, has worked its way to blessing us even to this day. Genesis 20, 22, verses 17 and 18, just to go back. I don't have it in there. I thought I did. I will surely bless you. And make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through their offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. This was Isaac. Isaac and his children that were going to be the blessing. Sure, God was going to do it. They knew that. But boy, wouldn't it be nice if Isaac didn't have to learn all the same lessons that we had to learn on our way to seeing the promise fulfilled. Wouldn't it be nice if Isaac didn't have to go through what we went through? So we see this transition. Abraham making plans. He's laying the groundwork for his son Isaac to be a promised blessing. We see Abraham and Isaac or Abraham and Sarah as finishing their lives well. Isaac probably saw that as well. Maybe he didn't, because your kids probably don't have a good perspective. But after time, future generations get to decide 
how well we finished. Future generations are our judge. History is the judge, right? About how well we finished. He tells his servant, don't let Isaac leave the promised land. Don't let him go back to my father's land. In fact, you just go and get his wife from there. God will make sure it happens, right? But don't let him go there. Even if she won't come back with you, do not let him go back to my father's country. Why? Because this is the promised land. This is where he's supposed to be. Don't even allow him to see anything else. Because this is all he needs to worry about. This is where God is at work. This land is his inheritance. Abraham knows and he remembers how hard it was to get Sarah to leave. How hard it was to, to get themselves there. He remembers it. And he doesn't want that for his son. All that Abraham and Sarah had gone through would be worth it, though, if Isaac were to inherit what God had promised, right? It'd all be worth it if Isaac became the fulfillment of the promise that God had given them. So he wanted to do everything he could for his son. Everything he could to, to give him the life that God had desired for him. To make sure that future generations would inherit what Abraham and Sarah had only dreamed of. Important passage of text, Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16. All these people, talking about the, the, the patriarchs of the faith, right? All the people the, in the Old Testament were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things they had promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have the opportunity to return. You see, he doesn't want him thinking about going back to Father's Land because he might want to go back there. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, he doesn't want us, he didn't want Isaac doesn't want Abraham and Sarah to be looking back, to be thinking about what else could be, but don't stay completely focused on what he has promised us. Not to entertain any other options. Isaac's future, you see, would decide how well Abraham and Sarah finished. And that's the way it is with us. We, don't, we get to decide how we finish. We don't get to decide how we're remembered. Say that again. We get to decide how we finish. We don't get to decide how we will be remembered. That's up to the people who do the remembering. This is true whether you're talking about life, our church, a marriage, our community. We can't write our own history. But there's something we can do. Be faithful today. Be faithful today. Good finishes are just that. They're about being faithful right now. Being faithful in the moment. Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2. Listen to me. I think I have it in here. Yeah, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut, to the quarry from which you were honed. Look to Abraham, your father. 
to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only a man, and I blessed him and made him many. Look to, we can look to Abraham and Sarah to gain perspective on what living faithfully, living for God, is all about. We think that often that, that faithfulness is about things that we must do. But in reality, faithfulness is about who we are. We see Abraham and Sarah are, are rocks from which God cut them out, right? He made them who they were. God made them who they were. See, it's not the doing the things that we need to focus on. It's not, it's not about doing all the things. You know, I've encouraged over and over again to, to, that this year we could be reading Scripture. We could be spending time in prayer. Absolutely. But I don't want you to get caught up in, I have to get out to do this and do this and do this. That's not the point. You start with being. Being is where it starts. Luke, I don't know if I have the, Yeah, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 and 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This text is teaching us that it's about being first. That if we are in a relationship, if we're becoming Christ-like, if, if he's at work in us, right? If we focus on who we are, our identity in Christ, we focus there, then all the things we do kind of take over themselves. My love for God makes me want to get to know him more, right? My love for God makes me want to pray more. My love for God makes me want to honor my wife. All those things that we know we ought to do, ought to do, right? They take care of themselves when we focus on, on our identity. When we get our identity straight, all the things that we do fall into place. Not so easily. I'm not making it sound like it's easy, but, but they make sense then. They're not as a trial and a struggle when we get our identity straight. When we realize that, that this period of transition, we don't lose who we were, right? It's what, it's what carries us over to the next page. That identity of, of being in Christ carries us forward. If you don't have anything to carry you forward, if you don't have that relationship with Christ to carry you forward, if you find yourself exhausted by trying to do and do and do and do, you need peace. You need to start first with your relationship with God. Surrendering your life to Him. Inviting Him in to, to, to change your desires, right? So that the doing isn't a struggle. So that you want to then. Because it's part of who you are. So you can be encouraged, right? I want to take the pressure off of you having to perform to be a Christian. It's not about that at all. It's about being in a relationship with the God who loves you.
took Abraham and Sarah a while to figure that out. But they finished well. And you will as well. And you will too. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you. I thank you for helping us get our priorities back in alignment. When we, when we see a, a family mourning the death of a loved one, God, it is, it is a chance to stop and take stock of our priorities to think about what got them to where they are and Lord where are our priorities taking us and Lord that you would become the chief priority in our life Lord I thank you for what you're doing here in this community God I thank you that there are those who are gathered here today who are who are offering themselves to you God asking you Lord to 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 remake their hearts to change them from the inside out that they're doing God would would be less about them just muscling it through and it would be about more about you calling them deeper into a relationship with you you're good to us Lord you're good to us and that you offer us Jesus that makes all this possible we thank you for that gift that as we put our faith in him he gives he offers to give us himself to make us new so for those here today who, who want to renew that relationship we just simply pray a prayer of surrender. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need you. Today, I surrender myself to you, my future, my hope, my life, and my death. I give it to you, God. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me a new life. Use me for your glory. Use us for your glory, Lord, here in this place. That we might that we might finish well, whether that be together or all by ourselves. We're with you. We love you. Amen. Amen. Amen.